Alpine Congressman Duncan Hunter's trial has been rescheduled for January. He was indicted last August on charges that he misspent more than a quarter million dollars on girlfriends, family vacations, oral surgery, tuition for his children, and other personal expenses. Delaying Hunter's trial also carries significant implications for candidates vying to replace the embattled congressman, especially those on the Republican side of the ticket. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. To understand the legal implications of the movement of the trial, we have reporters Morgan Cook and Jeff McDonald, who've been covering this story for some time. Let's start with the obvious. Why was this rescheduled? So this was rescheduled because Hunter has filed um, an appeal in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit to see um, if he can overturn a judge's decision to refuse to dismiss all the charges against him based on what he says are a violation or what Hunter alleges are violation from of the uh, speech or debate clause of the U.S. Constitution. And that means that means that the uh, the U.S. Constitution protects certain types of activity, um, and legislative activity is one of them. So mm-hmm. you can't be prosecuted for uh, legislative actions that you took in the course of your official duties. And so um, that kind of confers a right not to be tried. And so um, Hunter is able to make an appeal before the end of his criminal trial mm-hmm. because otherwise forcing him to go to trial, the judge is wrong and he shouldn't have been tried at all. He can never get that right back. It's gone forever. So it's um, so this appeal um, will will just know soon if it's uh, if it's going to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we don't know, they didn't know if it would if it would be um, too close to the trial date and if it would change everything. So they just set it further back. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, how effective is this kind of legal maneuvering? Oh, how effective? We'll have to see. This is uh, unusual. Uh, this whole case is unusual. So uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, I think it's fair to say he's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at this defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy who said that having affairs with lobbyists was part of his job, basically. Uh, that was one of the motions his... Uh, his uh, defense lawyers put forward earlier this summer. Uh, the judge didn't buy it, and that's one of the things that is uh, on appeal to the Ninth Circuit. And also previously he claimed that this whole entire trial was null and void because he was being politically targeted. It seems like he's trying a number of defenses. Yeah, he's trying everything uh, he and his lawyers can think of. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting strategy. They seem to have a lot of resources, and uh, it doesn't look like there's any settlement uh, discussions underway, and this may actually go to trial. And it's worth noting that this will occur in 2020 when he is up for re-election. How does that complicate the legal process, Morgan? Um, it just changes things depending on how it goes. So um, if he is, you know, cleared at trial and found not guilty, you know, then he will just probably pursue re-election, you know, as planned. Um, but if if he does go to trial and is convicted, you know, and he or he pleads and decides to leave his seat uh, as part of that deal, then, you know, depending on when that happens, it could, you know, affect whether or not any other candidates can go on the ballot, whether his name can be taken off the ballot, if there needs to be a special election. But all of that has to do with timing, and we don't know mm-hmm. yet. Certainly. And the biggest development before this was Margaret Hunter choosing to plead guilty in this case. How does that throw a wrench into this ongoing criminal trial? 
Uh, her sentencing has been pushed back. Uh, I think it might be pushed back again since her sentencing was scheduled late this year. Uh, and I think it'll probably be extended sometime after January because the trial won't have happened. Um, but she's the star witness, so it's it's mm-hmm. delayed. Uh, it's delayed the trial, and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, she's a she's the she's the star witness, so uh, everything's sort of being put on hold until the Ninth Circuit makes its ruling. Mm-hmm. And in this kind of period of waiting, will we get any more documents or information in the meantime? Stuff is filed in the case somewhat regularly. Uh, it depends. I mean, we don't know what the lawyers know, and we don't know what the judge knows. Uh, mm-hmm. They seem to have uh, decided what evidence can and can't be permitted at trial. So I'm not sure what other documents will show up in the uh, in the public court filing, but uh, I think it's fair to say communications are always ongoing between both sides in this case. Mm-hmm. And we may also get some more information when they file briefs and arguments for the appeal Uh, in September and forward. And for both of you, what are the big questions that you see either side having to answer to either win this case or lose it? Well, clearly it'll be, uh, the question is whether his spending was illegal or not amounted Mm -hmm. to criminal activity. The government, of course, says that uh, he was using campaign money for personal use and spending on girlfriends and travel and vacations. the defense says that's not the case. He was just doing his jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, I think that we might learn. I don't know, but we might learn, you know, um, where, the, where the court and the laws draw the line between mm-hmm. what's, what's official, what's not, what's allowed, what's not. I think that those might be interesting questions that will be explored. Yeah, is there a sense that this will kind of change the realm of campaign finance by setting a different precedent? Maybe. It's hard to say. Other mm-hmm. congressmen have been... a. Jailed for this same and charged for this same offense, uh, and that hasn't seemed to curb all of the behavior. Interestingly, one of Congressman Hunter's defenses is that he's doing what other people have done uh, for years, and this is actually part of his job, and that's mm-hmm. why he's protected by the speech or debate clause from the uh, Constitution. All right, Jeff McDonald, Morgan Cook, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you, Daniel. We'll be right back. To get a deeper understanding of what's going on in the political realm, we have political reporter Charles Clark and political columnist Michael Smolens. So first, the big question, what's at stake for Republicans in this coming election in the 50th? Well, uh, this is a a district that uh, under almost no circumstances should the Republicans lose, but they are very much... Uh, you know, in fear of losing it, uh, they almost lost uh, the district uh, uh, two years ago, or last year, rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to echo Michael, I mean, it's really this shouldn't even be a conversation we're having. Like, mm-hmm. this is a seat that, you know, the DCCC has not paid any attention to at any point in history. Uh, and really, you know, the Republican National Committee hasn't had to worry about either. Uh, this just puts it all in play. Mm-hmm. And Hunter has challengers on the right. Yeah. So I believe the first candidate to file to challenge Hunter, who was a Republican, was Matt Ron, the Republican mayor of Temecula, uh, followed by former Navy SEAL or retired Navy SEAL uh, Larry Wilski. Mm-hmm. We also have Escon- or former mayor of Escondido, Sam Abed, and conservative radio hosts and former San Diego city councilman uh, Carl DeMaio. And uh, El Cajon Mayor Bill Wells. Thank you, yeah, who also challenged (laughs) Hunter last time, yeah. And out of that kind of cadre of Republicans, which one of them is the most prominent? 
Well, you'd have to say Carl DeMaio is probably the best known. I mean, he was a very prominent and outspoken and attention-getting San Diego City Council member, uh, and he's become a popular conservative uh, radio host uh, who has a following really up and down the state. Um, so he's in, and so that changes the dy- dynamic a lot. Uh, what the the real issue here is that, you know, with the, if, when the trial was scheduled for September, mm-hmm. they could all sort of hold their fire and see what happens if Hunter survives, and he's probably just going to win, and some of them, if not all of them, would probably decide not to run. Now this will take it right up to the doorstep of the March 3 primary, so they're going to have to, you know, get in. If they're going to get in, they can't just wait around, and this is a really... Uh, bad political situation for the Republicans. They would just rather have, you know, I think any Republican would would do well, maybe, you know, give uh, the Democrat uh, Amar Kampanajar uh, trouble, uh, even more so than Hunter, perhaps. But with this crowd like this, uh, it's just going to be a mess for them in the primary. Exactly. I mean, it's, it, we've already started to see some of the infighting, you know, Sam Abed and Larry Wilski have already started taking shots at Carl DeMaio. Uh, you know, there's rumors that former Congressman Daryl Issa might also enter the race, which I'm sure would liven things up a bit as well. Um, I think, echoing Michael, you know, Carl is certainly the most recognizable name in it. What's kind of interesting and unusual about him compared to everyone else in the field um, who actually held elected office, he's the only one who didn't hold elected office in the district. Mm-hmm. Everyone else who's running in there, you know, Temecula, El Cajon, Escondido, they're all actually in the district mm-hmm. yeah, they're um, seeking office. You know, DeMille has raised a ton of money, more so than anybody else. Uh, he, he's got a big fundraising base through his various activities. I mean, he's run some statewide initiatives that haven't turned out that well, but he's also had some successes in helping a recall of a state senator who supported a, a tax increase. Um, so he's the front runner in that regard. He'll have sort of a, a target on his back. Um, you know, there, there's uh, Charlie mentioned um, Daryl Issa, which is an interesting situation. Certainly, he was rumored as potentially running last year, uh, but I think it was in the case that if if Hunter had to step down, uh, that he would step in. Um, he's one that has he's personally wealthy. He was the wealthiest man in Congress, so mm-hmm. he could get in almost at any time if he wanted to self fund. Uh, but he's going to have to decide pretty soon, I think, because DeMaio is really, you know, covering a lot of ground. And um, there's some Republican leaders that do- just don't want Carl DeMaio for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And what's the deadline for ISIS to really decide? Well, technically, the filing deadline is December. So if he really wanted to, he could hold off that long. I mean, conceivably, he's probably the only person who could run for, or one of the only people who can run for elected office who can do that just because, as Michael mentioned, He's independently wealthy, and he mm-hmm. doesn't need as much time to fundraise. Um, as far as building you know, a coalition of support among Republicans, that probably wouldn't be very wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know talking to a few different kind of political observers, they said you know, the bottom line, especially with the trial getting pushed, is anyone who's going for this, they really can't wait and see anymore. They have to kind of get in there. Um, yeah, and I know one mm-hmm. of the things that kind of came up, as Michael mentioned, is the fundraising aspect of this I think is really – fascinating when it comes to the uh, trial getting pushed because Mm -hmm. that's kind of the biggest you know aside from just amassing republican support you also have to raise a lot of money to run an effective campaign i mean Mm -hmm. even if you look at duncan you know even prior to his legal troubles he usually was raising i think in his last three elections he raised 1.2 million dollars in each of them usually spent a million dollars and that was before he had a serious challenger. Mm-hmm. So anyone, in a very red district. Exactly. So anyone who's in this district, they're going to have to raise money, especially when you're going up against a guy on the other side who last year, largely without Democrat support, 
raised and spent $4 million, they, they got to start raising money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because the, the two big names, uh, not to diminish the others, but we talk about DeMaio and Isa. Uh, neither of them at this point live in the district. You don't have to live in the district, uh, mm-hmm. but um, you know. And, and I don't want to say East County is different in certain respects, but there is a certain uh, sense of place, uh, a bit of parochialness. I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, we don't hear the term carpetbagger much anymore, but to people uh, caught into these folks uh, coming a bit from the outside. Now they're both well-known entities here, actually. Isa, who had been in Congress for a long time, part of his earlier district before the lines were shifted with, uh, with the uh, census, uh, included a little bit of that area. Yeah. Um, and DeMaio, of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of conservatives out there, so he's familiar on the airwaves as well. But uh, that, that's a dynamic that I think that, that is worth paying attention to. What kind of impact it will have, we, we won't know. Mm-hmm. And this is at going to come at the same time as as the Democrats are trying to decide who should go against Donald Trump. So this does give Amar Kampanajar a degree of an advantage. Do you see the, the Democrats at all looking to invest at least some money or time into that campaign, given that if more people turn out to vote against Trump, it could give him the advantage? Um, yes. Uh, the short answer is, is yes. Uh, things can change, but uh, he, he didn't... Uh, Amar Kampanajar didn't get a lot of love from the Democrats oh, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. He did. He, you know, came within a few points, really, of almost knocking off Duncan Hunter, an incumbent, an embattled incumbent. Uh, I, I think they've got uh, him targeted to to give him a push this time around. Things can change. Uh, you know, do, do they still do that if Hunter? Uh, you know, is cleared uh, in court uh, just before the, the primary. Uh, we'll see. But he's also raised a lot of money and he's, uh, you know, really worked ever since that last election to, to expand and build on his infrastructure. So he's got a pretty good operation out there. And this only helps him. Um, mm-hmm. What ultimately happens in November is a long way away. But, uh, uh, you know, with the d- uncertainty and uh, just things upended on the Republican side, that's certainly to his benefit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree 100%. And I think Really, yeah, every indication we've seen from the DCCC is that they're going to actually jump into this race, and they already have. You know, they're sending out email blasts all the time related to Hunter. Um, I think it's also worth noting, and I know Michael and I have talked about this previously, is just the fact that when you look at the landscape for San Diego and California in general, obviously Democrats want to protect the seven congressional seats they flipped. Mm-hmm. But when you actually really narrow down into San Diego, there's really not that much in play for them to pour money into, right? I mean, you know, three of these Democratic-controlled congressional seats in San Diego, Republicans don't stand any chance of getting or and don't even, I don't even think, have fielded candidates to challenge for. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, who knows what happens with Mike Levin's race. Obviously, he's already proven that he can raise a lot of money on his own. So really, there's a lot of available cash in theory, especially if people end up keeping their powder dry until you know, their presidential nominees decided. One, mm-hmm. one wild card that I don't know what impact this would have, but it gets back to your question about uh, Trump. California just uh, passed a law. The governor signed a, a law that uh, won't let people uh, on the primary ballot if they haven't released their taxes, which, of mm-hmm. course, Trump hasn't. Now, some people think that that's not going to stand in court, but let's just say for the sake of argument it does, and Trump's not on the mar- March primary ballot. I don't know what kind of dynamic that has but mm-hmm. it's, you know they're, they're really counting on after the the beating they took in california the republicans in 2018 they're counting on the trump effect 
even though it wouldn't be a competitive primary, to at least bring out some voters to vote for him, and certainly in November in a competitive election. Uh, so that could be a big uh, uh, a big factor, but I don't know what kind of factor. Mm-hmm. And also, is Hunter facing any pressure from Republican leadership to step down at this point? So <laughs> no one, to my knowledge, is making it very public in pushing him to resign. I know mm-hmm. that we had already heard rum- rumors that you know, D.C. Republicans, some of their leadership has been trying to subtly force him out the door. I mean, obviously, they stripped him of his committee assignments, mm-hmm. even decided not to give them back to him and, you know, openly refused his very public request to get them back after he was elected. They certainly seem to be or what we've seen kind of suggest they're in the camp of trying to, you know, get whoever is in there to really ensure it's a safe seat. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, Politico reported, I think, before last late winter or spring, that there was an effort by Republican leaders in Washington uh, to, to get him to step down. They would help him out with his legal costs and so forth. Uh, he dug in. So to the extent that if that's still going on, I think that they've realized he's sticking with it regardless of what happens. So uh, the, like I said, I think that their their best hope was that at least it would be over three weeks or a month after the September start of the, what was going to be the September 10 trial, trial and now it's pushed back to January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, you know, the other kind of funny aspect of that is I'm not even sure if they wanted to, and even if they put their full force behind it, they could force him out. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Duncan Hunter, and obviously that district is so unusual in the fact that I don't think there's any other Congress member who carries that same kind of name ID, you know, who isn't like a leader of their party in their district. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, just about everyone there knows who Duncan Hunter is just Mm -hmm. through him and his father. And, you know, part of the reason he won was that the Hunter family still carries a lot of weight. And, you know, people remember the things that they have done for them previously, and they show a certain loyalty to that until... He's gone. Well, and also he's he's a Marine veteran, and uh-huh. uh, you can't underestimate uh, two things. One, the value people put on military service in the 50th District, uh, and as Charlie had mentioned, just the, the Hunter brand. Uh, you know, his father served uh, during the Vietnam era in the Army Rangers. Uh, he served in Congress for what, 25 years or something like that. He ran for president, uh, not successfully, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, that what happened last year that uh, they just got – Duncan Hunter, the current congressman, got the benefit of the doubt from a lot of voters. He hadn't been convicted. He hadn't even gone to trial. So uh, given that history, I think that was the feeling. Uh, whether that, whether there's fatigue now that is set in, we'll see. But again, one way or another, uh, unless there's further appeals and pushback, this should be a decision before the election. It just will come so quickly before the election, it's going to really make a, a difficult thing for Republicans. Certainly. I mean, the one other thing that I would note that'll be kind of interesting is just given where they have the trial scheduled now you know people get their vote by mail ballots um you know anywhere from 29 to seven days before the election duncan's trial even if it goes as planned isn't gonna end until just two weeks before the election so it's very conceivable people are going to be casting ballots Mm -hmm. before this is resolved yeah and also you know I think it's something like 70% of San Diego County votes by mail. So that's just a really kind of lingering question mark that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, on a final note on that, it'll be interesting to see if, if uh, the return of ballots, uh, mail ballots in the 50th is a little slower because people that are aware of this figure, well, I, why not wait uh, until we get a verdict? Uh, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Charlie Clark, Michael Smolens, thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. you. 
In other political news, Mayor Kevin Falconer has been fined for violating city transparency laws. He was fined $4,000 for failing to timely disclose seven contributions, totaling nearly $70,000 to One San Diego, a nonprofit that has helped him politically. Several city council candidates have received fines as well. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Try out some of our other podcasts, too. Our Ideas and Opinion team hosts The Conversation, which features interviews with newsmakers and experts about San Diego news and issues. Our sports department hosts Hot Lava about all things Padres. To see all of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com slash podcasts. Until next time.